All right, guys, welcome to the 2023 Wrestling Awards. In the past, we have done this, and we have stolen from the Wrestling Observer, stolen their Class A and Class B categories. We have about 16 Class B categories combined, and we have about 8 to 10 Class A categories. And the Class B categories, each of us will take one of each, so we'll each have four. In the Class A categories, we will all give our answers. And uh, we have done this in the past, in 2021, Mike Rossi and myself with Mike Eller. I represented WWE. Mike, Ro Mike Rossi uh, represented the Indie slash New Japan Impact. And Mike Eller represented AEW, and we gave our awards for it. And then in 2022, we changed the format. And us three gentlemen, myself, Rocco, and Rossi, was joined by Keith Lingston. And we did the Absorber Awards like we are this year with our new friend, Richie Mars. Richie, what's going on, pal? That's going, man. Thank you for having me for the end of the year awards. It's been a great year in wrestling, and it's a very tough, very tough to narrow everything down with the Class B awards. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Rocco, what's going on, pal? What's up with the band? Band's great. Um, new kid is great. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been an interesting year of wrestling. It's good and good, but like you said, there's a, a lot of peculiarities to some of the topics we're going to discuss tonight that I think is uh, interesting. Yeah, but Rossi, what's up with you? Not much, man. I mean, it's only fitting that we add a Richie into our um, our conundrum that, that I know always gives you issues, Ryan. It, yeah, it's been R a while, but uh, I'm always, my, the R always twists my tongue, so um, I'm sure we'll be fucking up. I'll be saying Rocco. I'll be saying Rossi, and I'll be meeting Richie, and that's kind of how this goes. But in the past, guys, we did this in a two-part form in 2021. You can find that on the No-So feed. And then in 2022, we did it under Closed Lines and Headlines, episode 15. So if you like what you're listening to and you want to listen to the 2021 and the 2022 version, go seek those out. Let's get started. Who knows how long this is going to last? So let's waste no more time, and let's get after it. Richie, let's start with you. In a Class B award, Richie, the Class B award that I am going to start with you is the most charismatic. Yeah, you know, this was a lot harder than you initially would think. You know, there were a lot of great superstars that embodied that charisma this year. You always have Roman Reigns, who pretty much dominated the entire years and years of WWE. You have Cody Rhodes, who seemed to be getting more popular ever since his loss to uh, Roman Reigns at wrestlemania but for me the criteria here was who not only was charismatic but also pretty much rose to comparatively from the year before of that charisma of, of that charisma year and my pick for it is la knight for the simple yeah. fact that he started from legitimately the bottom of the barrel if you come to his reactions prior to the bray wyatt feud earlier this year you it's night and day comparatively and as time went on he didn't have a story until summer fall and he got consistently more and more over with the crowd even when not being on television consistently his merch sales stayed steady and it was some of the highest merch that wwe had at the time and he would top it and he wouldn't be in a solid storyline and then when the company finally started to go with him he didn't drop the ball. He took and ran with it. And he's still in the mix to this day. Even that loss to Roman Reigns hasn't hindered his popularity at all. So he's my pick for the 2023 most charismatic of the year. 
by adding to that, I, I would just say charisma is what got him to the dance on the biggest stage. So I agree with that pick. Uh, other names I would consider is MJF. Is either one of you have another name that you would like to consider for most charismatic? I mean, I, I thought also naming Cody and Roman uh, warrants it too. I mean, I think when you think of char charisma, it doesn't just mean being entertaining or someone liking you. It really kind mm -hmm. of and is like a devotion to a character and like a, a rock star, a movie star. The word cult leader is thrown around in wrestling way too often. But for me, that's a CM Punk who's done that more than anyone. People are just drawn to everything this guy does. I don't, I don't give a fuck about off camera. I don't want to talk about that. But when he's on camera, the crowd isn't raptured with them. People are people cheer, cheered his name for years. That's kind of gone away, but it started again this year. But I think he's a guy that literally had a devotion to him where he left and went somewhere else and they followed him. And and uh, Roman Reigns, I mean, people don't even follow him to uh, Fox Sports One when sometimes when he when he's when he moves away from his normal spot. So I think Punk is the guy that just was had the wrestling world in rapture this year. Not to say that Knight is doesn't isn't a charismatic dude, but I think Punk's the guy that just across the board had the, the wrestling world just drawn to everything he was doing. Not a bad pick. Yeah, I All mean, right. I gotta I gotta throw Seth Rollins in too. I mean, the whole package is charisma. And I mean, I'm gonna talk about him more later on, I'm sure, but somebody too. I mean, I think LA Knight would be my pick as well, but I want to give Rollins a shout because he his charisma alone kept Raw afloat for stretches of this year. So I gotta give him props for that. And that title run he's had has really made a title we didn't even know existed at the beginning of the year into what feels like one of the most important belts in the in the world right now. So, um, and that's all on his back. So I got to give him a shout too. Some would say it's fake charisma, but we'll see. All right. <laughs> no, it's all right. Good shout. Good shout. All right, Rocco, you're next. Rocco, let's go with your best in worst TV announcers for 2023. Well, worst, we got we to repeat from last year. It's obviously Booker T. Uh Makes the product hard to watch. Shucky, I mean, ducky, quack, quack, no, what? No, nobody approaches Michael Cole. He'll run as announcers that make you want to turn off the channel. But Booker's rough. Uh, his buddy on the show is, you can tell, is just miserable next to him. Uh, the only reason he's on that show is because they want his, I think, is because they want his, his school as a place that they could get new people and use them to get TV experience and stuff like that. That's why he's on. It's under contract. And he's... You know, he's got a name and he's good on the pre-shows, but I mean, God, he's awful. And best, I'm going with Nigel McGuinness. Uh, I think he's amazing. Uh, he actually, the level of charm and humor he brings to a broadcast, genuine humor, not fake humor with canned laughter. Just the And his ability to be a heel announcer is the best heel announcer that's been around since maybe Bobby on fucking Nitro, where he's knowledgeable he's calling it but he's got his crazy biases that never waver um his little his feud with daniel bryan is such a neat singular thing that he does and i just think he's fascinating to listen to uh and my heart goes out to taz as well maybe might be his taz because once again funny charismatic but knowledgeable and really does a good job of explaining what's going on in the ring um, Taz does a really good job of doing that, especially when there's something that goes wrong in a match. He's really good at covering it. So um, I'm going Nigel, though, just for entertaining the shit out of me on, on Collision for the, the, the duration of its uh, running. It's kind of funny that Booker T replaced Nigel in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really, I don't, 
announcers don't really bug me either way. I don't really like this award, but I will say probably my favorite is Taz between all the shows. And I'd like to give Wade Barrett a shout too. Raw for three hours is hard, and he does a good job of filling in those three hours for quality TV. And worst, I don't know. I I could never stand Excalibur. I think he's lame. <laughs> well, that's just a, that's just a hot take. I I think he's objectively. I don't. I just think of he's objectively lame. I think he's he's good and adds value to the product. I just think he's lame. Either one of you guys want to add before we jump on to the next? I don't think Booker T's the worst announcer of the year. In fact, I think he actually helped Trick Williams's presentation in a way with huh? his ad libs. Yep. With his entrance, so I think he does add a lot to the NXT product, even if he's very unconventional. I would say the worst announcer might—he has gotten better, but Kevin Patrick earlier this year started off really rough. He—he was—he was pretty rough. And as for best, I would agree that Nigel McGuinness is probably the best announcer that we have in terms of not only the entertainment factor, just like the deconstructing factor as well, and. Like Rocco said, the Brian Danielson digs every week and the tributes to Bobby Heenan, I think, are probably some of the most enjoyable things that I've watched in wrestling. And he definitely brings his own flavor to Collision to make that show separate from all the other AW on television products. I got to give a bad vote to to somebody that I feel bad doing it to, but he's developed go away heat for me in this past couple years. And that's uh, good old JR, Jim Ross. Um, ah, poor I feel bad yeah. doing it because he had the health issues, but the guy doesn't give a shit about what's going on in the matches he's announcing. And it's very easy to tell when you're watching the product that he didn't do his research. So um, he, he had turned channel heat for me this year. He's kind of developed into the uncle at Christmas that you just ignore when they say dumb shit. Like I don't even hear him anymore. <laughs> so, right. But yeah, Shivani's got a Shivani's got a little bit of that too, but he's entertaining enough that he kind of gets away with it. Um, and to the point you guys were making before, like Taz is so good that it kind of mm-hmm. makes up for Shivani's shortcomings. But but Jr. Man, he's he's a tough listen though. For sure. All right, Rossi, while you got the stick, what is the best wrestling maneuver in 2023? Oh man, so I was really thinking hard about this because I didn't want my final answer to actually be my final answer because <laughs> I think it was what I said last year too. Um, and I want to give a shout to two moves in NXT that really I was trying to talk myself into picking. Um, and that is going to go with the finisher that Ilya Dragunov really got over this year, which was the Torpedo Moscow, the, the running like uppercut. Um, he hits that with such, such vicious fury, right? It's like the most believable move in wrestling. And it gets even worse when the guy's like on the mat and he's like really trying to lay it in. Um, so, but I didn't go with that. And I also wanted to give Soul Rucka a, a shout with the Soul Snatcher. Um, she kind of debuted that at the end of 2022, but she was winning matches with it before she got hurt. So awesome move, but I'll, we'll save that for when she makes her comeback. Um, I got to go with the Stormbreaker from Will Ospreay. Um, the move is just so excellent. He hits it perfectly almost every time. There's enough danger in it that it looks like he could legitimately kill somebody at any point. Um, the guy's just on the top of his game, and whenever he hits that move, he can hit it on anybody. He just really does a good job with like closing that out, not overdoing it, um, hitting it with, with times that it makes sense. And It's just the move of the year for me, and it probably will be for a few years until he stops using it. Cool. 
I don't. I didn't really prepare for this one, but I'm just gonna go Gunther's chop. It's electric. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my thought would be Commanders running the top rope and doing wow. a flipping moonsault is always impressive. The crowd always loses their shit for it, and seeing it live and seeing pictures of people posting it live from the four seats. It's one of those things that when you're at a live experience, it really shows the magic of wrestling that a guy could do that, that you could run the ropes and be that high in the air and twist. And he's got that slow motion landing kind of shit that certain dudes have. That's just beautiful. So I think that's the most amazing consistent move. Uh, my favorite singular move was Will Ospreay um, uh, giving the tiger driver to Kenny Omega at the right as a wrestle dream and making the internet scream because they wanted to scream that he was being dangerous. Oh, the and Tiger like, Driver, ninety. Yeah, and I like that he made nerds angry. So I like that, and it was brutal and sick, and uh, one of the greatest false finishes of the year. So uh, for singular moves, that, but the Commander running moonsault is just fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. I do like uh, Ilya Dragunov's H bomb finisher, just because he created something that should be so simple and so nothing to other wrestlers and competitors. And he made it into a vicious knockout finishing blow, super finisher. Like he's done it off the top rope. He's done it off the steps. He's done it just kind of like jumping and standing and it makes it so much more impactful. And I really think that Ilya Dragunov as a performer really sells it with his body, uh, work his exhaustion on his face just like this is he's putting everything behind this move which should be what you want to want in a believable setting in a professional wrestling match so that would be my pick for uh maneuver of the year and it's something that has been in mma for so many years and you've watched it happen and you've seen it and you can kind of get a vibe of like that fucking sucks <laughs> so seeing him use that as like a super finisher does is really cool because you it's like you could feel it because it's yeah. something you've seen from so many years and now it's a finisher yeah, and also uh, honorable mention to Braun Breaker Spear because every the time he hits it, it just makes it look like he's like destroying people with it. That fucking Nathan Frazier one this week was just—I know that's all Nathan. Most well, it's not all Nathan Frazier, but I'm, he his athleticism added to it. But goddamn, for a guy two years in, and you know, like, real, he, he all his matches are built around that spear. But it is pretty an electric spear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Maneuver of the year, all good choices, especially the Gunther Chop with my unprepared answer. All right, so while I got the mic, the biggest box office draw. Let's start hot, boys. For 2023, I think there's two answers here. I think there is a, a runner-up answer of CM Punk. He has broken merchandise records for two companies. Even if one company was holding back merchandise, he would still sell out on them. Uh, I think you can just see the numbers of him re-debuting at the Survivor Series, breaking uh, YouTube numbers, breaking social numbers, and just merchandise sale out the window. Uh, but the real answer is, again, Roman Reigns, the, the true needle, needle mover. Um, I believe I saw a stat today that the episodes that he was on for SmackDown averaged a 2.5 million views. That's absolute for this now and for these times. That's fucking electric. Uh, that's the answer. It's Roman Reigns. Perhaps CM Punk has a case for uh, watching the numbers on uh, AEW pretty much crumble once he left and or when he wasn't on. And then just how a hot WWE got even molten hotter and really selling out MSG this week on his first show back, first MSG sellout in a while. So I think those are your two answers, but I think it's hard to say 
it's not Roman Reigns. Do either one of you want to add to that or dispute or throw another name in the ring? I mean, technically, MJF and Adam Cole drew the biggest live audience of the year, so you could uh, put them on the list. <laughs> if you want to be... If you, <laughs> that's a concrete number. For one-day attendance, they had the biggest box office. You could talk ratings. Ratings, we could have a whole discussion about how irrelevant and stupid ratings yeah. are, but that they drew the biggest gauge I think those. I think it's also... Okay, sure, but I... Okay, you're not wrong. You're not wrong, but I think the metrics are a little different in 2023, and so it's kind of hard. It's not like you're getting hard and fast 80 numbers where you can compare Hogan and Flair and Bruno numbers and Backlund numbers, and you like it's not. It's an arc. It's kind of an archaic category in a way. So right. the I mean, metric we've discussed yeah. this last year too. Like it's WWE. Yeah. It's Roman. Yeah. It's the WWE that draws because he isn't always there, and they still get good. Like it's. But I when think he Punk shows is up, probably more indicative of it being a thing that you're going to see more than in the beginning of next year, I'm, I'm going to assume. But it's WWE that draws the house. I mean, if Punk gets some this big ass deal and his name's on the on the marquee, he has a case for it. I just think it's hard. But there's definitely a case for Punk. Don't get me wrong. I just think it's hard to take away from Roman because he's he's the face of the biggest company, and um, you know the 2.5. On the ratings, for an average, it's hard to dispute. Even though you want to say uh, ratings, what are they? But when they go up, when his face is on TV, his socials go up, everything. Well, they also make you know that when he's on, important things are going to happen, too. So yeah. it's, it's it's also it's built around him. Too. Yeah, it's perceived. Yeah. Like, you perceive and you know, like, I have to tune in. It's not just because he's there. It's because that's when things are going to happen. Listen, the, it, the show's been much better. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was a long time yeah. when you're right. But now there's, like, the show itself is actually getting better at having a draw and more draws on it. So, but there is a thing where like people just want to see what was happening with the bloodline. So, in some mm -hmm. ways, I don't know, Sami Zayn. If you look at some of the numbers when he was doing the bloodline stuff, it might be like, oh shit, that might have been the biggest draw of the year for that little. Yeah, time. bloodline in general, there. like the entire bloodline story, even when Reigns wasn't around, was still drawing. Um, I also want to give a shout here for Rhea Ripley because when it comes to Raw. She's been the highest rated segments like pretty much week after week. And I mean, there's obvious reasons for that. Right. But um, she's also kept the judgment day, I think, at a level that they might not have ever touched without her. Um, and, you know, they've been they've been a draw to themselves. I mean, if you look at a guy like Dom, his presentation is great, but it's because of Rhea, you know, and now he's like the hottest heel in the company with Rhea being a major reason of that. You know, she's definitely the glue, the glue to that group for sure. Yeah, and but, I think uh, uh, another honorable mention would be Cody because yeah. there hasn't been a babyface role where somebody is in the arena undisputedly being cheered for like Cody. And he's, along with Roman, uh, to a little bit of a lesser degree that the company will hype up his segments of like, oh, Cody's here, Cody's here, Cody's going to come out and speak to the universe and people will turn in, tune in to watch. And I think think when he first debuted, they had something called like the the countdown to Cody clock, you know, so people would know when exactly Cody would be on their television screens. And like I said uh, off air, where Cody seems to be getting more and more popular since his loss to Roman. If you compared his uh, crowd participation with his theme song from the Rumble to uh, the end of the year this year, it's night and day. And I feel like on the Raw brand, Cody definitely 
was a cornerstone of that brand where for a while prior to the world heavyweight championship being uh, around Seth Rollins's waist, Cody was pretty much the uh, flag bearer for the raw brand. And he had to carry a feud with a guy who wouldn't show up every week and pretty much a story that was almost didn't have a reason to start in the first place. We never got a full reason of why that story was being shown on TV, why that was happening. And Cody still somehow made it work to the best of his ability. And I think just overall, I think he should be put in the conversation. But as far as this year, box office attraction, uh, it's got to be Roman. Every match of his is pretty much the center focus. It's every show he's on. He's on last. He draws the biggest crowds overall. Uh, So it's got to be him. And if we're looking at merchandise, give a shout to LA Knight. If that's such a thing for box office appeal or a category now, uh, uh, he has a chance to maybe get on that level if they go with him. But, uh, you know, all good answers. But the answer is Roman with a second of CM Punk. But if you want to make a case for CM Punk, I definitely see it. All right, Richie, while you have the hot mic here, buddy, what is your 2023 best and worst gimmicks? Oh boy, this was a toughie. Uh, for the best gimmicks, I was between three. I'll say my runners up right now. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, fantastic gimmick change uh, earlier this year. He pretty much went into a categorical villain of Monday Night Raw, and he went from not being on television in the beginning of the year consistently to now having a consistent role on the Raw show. And even though he's been losing in his major feuds, it's better than not being on TV. You know what I mean? And his portrayal, his sadistic uh, approach to his feuds, like uh, his dissection of Seth Rollins' back, his dissection of Cody Rhodes's confidence with the uh, Christmas story that he read on Raw, and the promos and the vignettes, the lighting, the red lighting in the background was just so phenomenal. And he should definitely be in consideration for that. Another one is uh, Christian Cage, uh, the patriarch of AEW. I think Christian Cage is doing the best work of his career. And it's very simple. He's not doing anything overly complex. He's doing heel 101, you know, making fun of the, the sports teams, the towns, the city. And he's still getting tremendous heat. And he's doing something that a lot of people in AEW aren't doing, where they're focused on cool moves or what anybody else is thinking about christian cage doesn't care about any of that he's just going all in 100 that's who he is he wants to be a bad guy 100 he doesn't want one iota of people cheering for him but my gimmick of the year it's got to be timeless tony storm just because it's such a departure from anything we're seeing on tv it's entertaining it's putting her at the forefront of the women's division when earlier this year she was the women's champion and no one really cared. Now she has a, a a real reason for the audience to care about her and these stories to be revolved around her because she's immensely just entertaining with the black and white segments, with the silent movie segments. Uh, I think she uh, pulled an orange out of her trunks once and handed it to Tony Schiavone, just like out of the box, weird stuff and experimenting. And that's what gimmicks nowadays should be. It should be about experimenting and trying new things. And Tony Storm definitely should be the cornerstone of the AEW, AEW's women's division from here on out. And that's that's why she's uh, my 
best gimmick of the year. As for worst, oh god, okay. There, there was, there was a couple. There was a couple. I'm in between two. Uh, the runner-up is QTV, and what people might not remember, QTV, it was a TMZ ripoff of QTV uh, with uh, QT Marshall's faction, with him, Aaron Solo, uh, Johnny Nitro, Johnny Morrison, Johnny TV is what he's called now, and uh, one one other individual I can't remember her name sadly. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs was in it for a while, and to do a TMZ like parody. And make it work. You have to make it. You have to really commit and make it work to it. And unfortunately, I don't think AW hit the mark on it quite yet. So that's why this was the runner-up. But the worst gimmick in my kit, in uh, my opinion, is the schism. Now, cult following leaders gimmicks has been around as tales old as time. We had uh, Dungeon of Doom. We had the Ministry of Darkness. We had the Wyatt family. But the schism. I just, there was no overall goal in their group. It was just try to cleanse the world, cleanse NXT. But if you think about it, in all their feuds, they didn't convince anybody of anything. You know, it, they were the worst cult group that I've seen in a wrestling setting. And I don't think uh, they were very entertaining on television. Their feuds weren't really highly interesting. They did something with Chase U that I thought was a little interesting with Duke Hudson, but that was mostly because of Duke Hudson and his character work, and I think he's highly underrated and he's going to be a big star in the future. But people in the uh, schism, tremendously talented. You had uh, Joe Gacy, you have uh, Grizzled Young Vets who just debuted in DPW, and you have uh, Ava, Ava Rain. Uh, you know, making her debut, but she was put in that spot and I'm not sure if she was 100% ready for that spot and it just didn't really mesh that well. So those were my picks of the worst gimmick. So best gimmick, timeless Tony Storm, worst gimmick, schism. I don't disagree with that at all, really. I think the schism was a swing and a miss. Um, Gacy's okay. He has a future, but as a whole, just wasn't hitting. And yes, I agree. Timeless Tony Storm, the way it helped her elevate up that women's card and really give um, substance to the TV there. They were kind of lacking that after Britt Baker's boom. She's the hottest female wrestler they really had since Britt. Maybe Jamie too, but um, it was she was desperately needed for that women's division and she's done a great job of getting to it and it's really based off a gimmick. So I don't think that's a bad pick whatsoever. And I haven't really thought of anything either if either one of you guys have one two to throw out there yeah I, I definitely tony was on the list and uh your daddy's dead christian was great one of the great things about him like you were saying yes. is uh um no catchphrase for the bad guy which is always great he's just doing his shit he's trying to get hated the qtv thing's funny i never even thought about that but i mean they already it was already done better in uh that andy sandberg movie never stop stopping they did a great parody of uh um, that's a shitty show. So um, the one I was thinking, which is, I don't know if it's really a gimmick. Also Alpha, Alpha Academy. You nailed all my ones, by the way, Richie. Um, Alpha Academy was kind of a really cool gimmick that was cool as a comedy thing that started getting dudes over. And I'm really hoping it gets Akira over. And um, you'll see later that he's going to be mentioned later. But uh, it's not necessarily a gimmick. It's more of a character progression. But good guy MGF trying to become a human it was a really interesting arc. I don't know if you call it a gimmick this year that I really enjoyed watching, but like this dude who's trying to be a good guy and he only knows his rest. He's like the typical wrestling nerd 
who's only knows wrestling. So that's how he's trying to equate to other humans. Maybe it's too real for some wrestling fans, but watching that, like good guy MJF trying to become a human guy was a very cool thing to watch this year as well. Because it's kind of a gimmick because it's not really his character uh, that that we've been seeing for this many years. Let, let me piggyback off of that. I'm going to give a little bit of quick hate to this whole devil story, but I'm opening it up to it having a cool finish, which I expect to finish this year, which, you know, as some people watch this, it might happen after, right? So if this thing's revealed as Adam Cole, and we just did six full months, basically, to get to this point, it's going to be the worst gimmick of the year because I think it's killed a lot of TV. The segment they did this past week when he lost the ROH tag titles was abysmal, absolutely abysmal television. Everybody and their brother that watched that match knew that, know that that's Taven and Bennett. If it ends up not being them, then they pulled the wool over my eyes and I'll say Bravo. Um, But this thing jumped the shark really quick and they just keep going. They attacked Jay white on nine 27. Yes, 927, and we're recording this on 1228, and we still don't have a reveal. It's just too much, and I just think we're – I'm mentioning it only because I expect a reveal at World's End on 1230, and I think it's going to be a a horrific showing. So I'm just throwing that into the ether and and hope that we come back and review this sometime in 2024, and I was right. I'm not talking necessarily about the storyline there. I'm more talking about the actual guy in the storyline, his his year for of sure. And I agree with you. I think the MJF side of it's good. I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of that while we were talking about MJF and kind of throw this whole devil thing that had a cool concept. Like I was interested in it at the beginning, but I just don't know who they could possibly have to make this thing matter moving forward. I'll be in the crowd for World's End, so I'll let you know the uh, vibe in the building. There you go. Yeah. Because you're right, it is a gimmick at this point. It's not a real thing. It's not a character. It's not. It's just a gimmick at this point of this. Yeah, this devil character. So, yeah, like you're saying, in the thirtieth, we'll see if it becomes a fucking the fucking shockmaster or uh, uh, the gobbledygooker. A great gimmick that they'd (laughs) be at the end of the month. All right, Rocco. While you're here and we're shitting on things, worst match of the year. All right. Well. My criteria for worst match might be a little different because, I mean, worst match, if you're going to be simple in mind about it, is Shane Aranda SummerSlam. But Roman J SummerSlam is a match that is supposed to be a fucking three-year blow-off to a feud. And it's kind of like what I have my problems with, a Roman Brock feud, or it's a WrestleMania main event. So the baseline is three already. And if you don't eclipse that, then you failed. This Roman J match was like three years in the making, the whole bloodline, the year before it leading up to it, they built to this. And then they do what they do with the bloodline a lot, which is tribal warfare, nebulous ideas, like the, the head of the table, which is not really clear what that is. And he quits the, the this nebulous thing. And this the bloodline idea is just this thing that it's a lot of words with a lot without a lot of substance to them which is it's almost like a macguffin kind of thing so that's the issues with that but when you have this match that's supposed to be the blow off of a three-year fucking program and you give me a 45 minute match that lost the crowd completely and was just the normal wwf violence of kendo sticks and setting up tables and predictable spots of violence and paul Heyman just doing his hyperbolic 
that's your brother kind of thing. And then guess what happens? Solo comes out. Jay looks like an idiot because you knew Solo was going to come out. All these dudes with the Solo coming out thing always makes them look dumb as baby faces. So to me, the expectations were just so big and a letdown that it's it's the worst. Like WrestleMania main event, you can have a, a, a mess-up filled match with two rookies on a fucking rampage, and it's not the worst match of the year because there was no expectations. There was so much expected of that, and it shit the fucking bed. So to me, that's a fucking bomb, and you made me watch 40 minutes of a fucking bomb that literally meant nothing. And that's, to me, the worst thing that you could do is bore me. And that's it. Also, Siri, Cena theory was a fucking waste of time, and Balor Edge was stupid, too. But there you go. So it's more like one of those, what do you, if it's like an expectation thing or the actual worst? I, I don't I mean, the Godfather I, I keep, 3 gets heat for being a terrible movie. It's not, but after Godfather 1 and 2, yes, it's a fucking letdown. But there's, so like, you have to elevate. You have to live up to the expectations of your match. And they didn't do it. And they had the chance to do it. They had eight, they had three years to plan that fucking moment. And they didn't do it. They didn't execute. So it's, it's like kind of what you look at it and what you take out of it. I, I, it's hard for me to call a three star because I had to go three stars on that match. It's, it's, it's fine. Admit, that's a massive disappointment for what you were expecting. Yeah. That so that's two bigger, stars less than what you wanted. <laughs> Shut up. Let me review. Let me review. <laughs> so it's like, is your worst, your worst expectation? Then yeah, it's, that's probably the biggest letdown, biggest disappointment. But the worst match of the year is the Ronda Shayna match. It, it was just a complete swing and a miss. It was brutal. It was awful. Yeah. Roman and, you know, it's funny. It's the same show. Roman and Jay was a disappointed disappointment. I'm not sure if it's the blow off, but it's the blow off for now. But, um, yeah, that it was a swing and a miss. So if you want to call the worst thing a swing and a miss, just based off expectation, you're not wrong. But I don't. I personally, I can't do it. Personally, I would go worst match, Shayna, Ronda. That, that was, I'm just taking. What, was, I'm taking my expectations of how I view things and yeah. how what I expect oh, yeah. in a match and how I would do it. You know, we all watch wrestling differently. We all watch yeah. art differently. So that's why you're not. That's why you're not wrong. It's just my answer is different. I but I agree with your sentiment of pretty much both of them. Either one of you got a outside the box worst match of the year. Uh, Rocco covered uh, Cena theory. I'll just kind of add on to that. I just think it was like nothing was categorically wrong with the match. Like it was very paint by numbers. It's like what you would see at a live event or a house show. It was, was pretty not much. A <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, nothing was categorically wrong. It's just the story the story they were trying to tell of theory is not on Cena's level and Cena saying, look, even if you win at WrestleMania, no one's still going to care. And lo and behold, after WrestleMania, no one cared about theory and no one could tell me one thing that theory did post WrestleMania until that rock segment with Pat McAfee, which goes to show that they didn't really utilize theory and that win to their advantage. And what makes it categorically the worst is even, and it proves that even if you get a win over John Cena, probably one of the biggest names in wrestling in the past decade, and you don't follow up on it, then it, it's it's just all for naught because no one remembers. It didn't help elevate theory, didn't help John Cena any, and it kind of, I'm not going to say set the tone for WrestleMania, but it kind of like, it was a very deflating opening because you're kind of left wanting a little more. And it just kind of felt like theory 
was on this trajectory upward and then all of a sudden it was just like even after he won so that's why it's categorically the worst match of the year in my opinion because they were trying to build this guy and ultimately they failed you know there's still an opportunity for theory to go to the top and i still believe he's going to be a top star in the industry but as of right now they failed on that now, not to go down a rabbit hole, Richie, but would you put that on Cena? Would you put it on Theory? Or would you just put that on WWE as a whole? Uh, I put it on like uh, WWE as a whole. You know, they greenlit the story of everything, mm-hmm. uh, whether they allowed Cena to do what he does, whether they allowed Austin Theory to do what he does. They didn't make Austin Theory look good. They only made him look like a stand-in honestly if you put anybody else other than theory in that position and that matches the same way it's going to affect the the, uh, the other guy just to, it would harm the other guy just as they did with Austin theory so i don't think any one person is to blame it's just like a group effort and unfortunately and this happens in wrestling and other aspects of show business they tried something it didn't work is it the end of the world no but it also wasted a lot of people's time and a lot of investment in theory that they were trying to make since uh, late last year. Do you think that was almost like a Moxley, sorry, like a Moxley Brock thing or like, if you had to figure your Austin's theory on this thing, you got to be like, so I'm going to do a fucking plunger. I'm going to fly off. I'm going to do the craziest shit. I'm, he's a young kid. He could do a lot of stuff. He's athletic. Like, do you think Cena was like, man, that, I'm not feeling that. Like, cause it seems crazy that this dude had did not, the match was so bland and like the greatest collective like that was it after the match was over i mean ryan you were there i'm sure you heard a million fifty thousand people go like was, really that was it opening, like opening what? both nights it was a two-star special i probably this is what probably happened see you know, i'm so busy we got this program it's kind of hot i just buried you i'll call it in the ring kid and then cena got in the <laughs> ring and was like, I, have, I have not done this in a while let's go <laughs> yeah, right. and it was well, just well cena yeah. admitted uh he did a uh interview with uh sam roberts about that uh, whole feud and he just said to he went to theory and said this is what i'm going to say about you because this is how i actually feel uh wwe wanted cena to face austin theory and obviously cena didn't think austin theory was ready for that match yet and by all accountability he's right austin theory probably wasn't ready for that match yet but he's the guy that wwe was trying to cultivate at that time and this is a guy who beat Edge, beat Sheamus, beat Rollins, beat Lashley, you know. But the problem is his wins didn't really come with any credibility. Uh, With this WrestleMania match, low blow to Cena, hit him with the finish, that's it. It didn't change anybody's perception of Austin Theory, and that was my biggest problem with this match, is the perception of Austin Theory, he wasn't a bigger star. He was just a guy who got a win over a cheap, convoluted way that he's been doing throughout his entire United States championship reign and a reign that ended on a random episode of SmackDown. So again, that just goes to show that this, whether their intentions were good of elevating theory, they ultimately failed. All right. We can't keep going on about theory here, guys. <laughs> Rossi. A lot more to say. I, I got two matches I want to call bad because I haven't been mentioned. Oh yet. shit, we were still on this. I forgot. <laughs> um, the Gable Stevenson Baron Corbin match. Yeah, that's Ooh, a good one. Yeah. Now you yeah, guys yeah. know I'm a Baron Corbin guy, so I'm not putting the blame on him. But I figured if they were going to put Gable, kind of to, to Rocco's point, and more of a disappointment thing, if if I I thought all along, if you're going to put Gable on pay per view, it obviously means that they think he's ready. He was not. The match was horrible. 
And then another one I just want to kind of throw out there is kind of a jab to the AEW faithful. That Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jeff Hardy um, <laughs> chainsaw match. And, and the only reason I'm going to include that is if that happened on Raw, AEW people would be relentless about it, right? And now I understand why it happened. You know, sponsorship money, whatever. I get it. But look back at, like, that Miz, Damian Priest um, that was zombie work match. That year, was yeah. flamed. This was just as bad as that. So um, I, I couldn't let that fly under the radar. Wasn't TK in the suit? <laughs> who was I, I, I forget who it was. It was somebody. Matt Hardy right, made well, a joke. Matt Hardy made made a joke that TK was in the suit, and then everybody could just kind of ran with it. So. I want I want to believe it. I want to believe it. I don't care. I, I mean, it's a, it. it's a shame because the real Weatherface wrestler like is all alive and still does shows. So like you could have like you're such a, a mark for Japanese yeah, wrestling, dude. Right? Well, he's the first one, the Super Weather, the real oh. the next guy. He's still kicking. So, gotcha. but yeah, could have had him and like you know. It would have been a little cooler than that thing was a bomb. <laughs> Nothing would have been right, better. Could have brought Ross, Gunnar Hansen back from the grave and it wouldn't be better. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we cannot do 10 minutes on the worst and the best TV matches show of the year. We're going two parts. But anyways, your best and worst weekly TV show of the year. What do you got, buddy? So I'll make it pretty easy. I mean, the, the best is SmackDown. Um, there was just the amount of like cool moments that happened on SmackDown this year that made that show appointment TV kind of to your Roman Reigns point before Ryan, when that guy was on, you were tuning in, um, whether you are a WWE fan or not, you, you were seeking that out either live or on YouTube. Um, so many cool moments on SmackDown this year between, um, the Jey Uso turn between that crazy segment inside, um, when they put Jimmy in the hospital. Um, to even later in the year, The Rock, Cena was on, on a lot. Um, McAfee's return tied into The Rock. Um, there's there was a lot of cool shit that happened on that on that show this year, and I just think that two hour format gave it the leg up over Raw, which I also think Raw had a good year too. Um, and I thought Dynamite also was a really good show every all year, and, and I gotta give Collision a shout too, but I just struggled to watch Collision because of the Saturday night time slot. Like, I'll watch it, but I'll skim through it, right. And it was only half the year, so I got to give SmackDown the show for the full year. And then worst match, our worst show, show. it's got to be Rampage. Because what I I can't think of anything important that happened in that show all year. Um, It became full-blown fodder. It pretty much became their new AEW Dark um, when Collision came into play. It's just a waste of time. Um, And it's not... Like they taped, I, I read the results that they taped from last night earlier, and I don't even remember what it was. So it's just complete, you know, I, nobody benefits from that show right now. I don't think they're not really elevating people on it either. It's just matches that are matches. Um, and the crowd's always dead because it's taped late after Dynamite. So it's just, it's got to be the worst show um, of the year by a substantial margin. If we're talking big six, the three AEWs and the three WWEs, um, if Raw was two hours, give me Monday Night Raw each week. I think it's the most consistent in ring, uh, has the most depth in characters, but the three hours is a slog, and they and they tend to put a percentage of the show that would get cut to make it better that they force in there, and they kind of have prolonged feuds. And historically, it's, it's kind of the worst show. Uh, for AEW, probably Dynamite is the best uh, flowing show even though it has ADHD tendencies, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But for a stretch at the 
at, at the beginning, Collision was the best in ring, especially when Punk was on and it was centered around him. You had the fantastic FTR bullet gold match that we'll talk about later. Structure wise, I think uh, they put a lot of time and effort into the matches on Collision early on. So that should be a consideration. But I think you got to go SmackDown, even though SmackDown low key is bad at times, especially on the lower end of the unimportant stuff. Um, the filler stuff, I tend to think Raw is better, but it's a hard ask for three hours. Um, no talk for NXT either way. I just think it's totally in the middle. Uh, high points for sure, especially around the fall when they had when they were trying to get their TV deal and they put a lot of effort into it. But they throw a lot of fresh, I mean, a lot of um, green people out there that kind of equals, like back to the schism point, that equals really bad, uninteresting stuff. So you could go either way with NXT, but honestly, I DVR'd WoW, women of WoW, women of wrestling or whatever that was, and I couldn't even get through an episode. Um, it's syndicated. No one watches it. Um, so I'm going to go down the misogynistic lane and say the worst TV show of the year is WoW, women's of wrestling. Yeah. I tried it. I tried it. It's very gimmick heavy. Um, I don't, I don't watch an Impact. I don't, have that, I don't have that channel. I don't watch MLW. I don't have that channel. So I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily go down that lane. I don't feel that Raw is the worst anymore just due to the depth of the characters in the in-ring matches. If you look at the resume of the Raw matches, Raw is not on it. You can't go SmackDown worse because it's the most important and it probably delivers the most on the most consistent. It's the most must watch. And I don't, it's hard for me to say that a, a AEW show is bad. Maybe Rampage, but they kind of go out there in each match. They, if you want to scrim skim those match qualities, I bet you they probably have one of the. They go out there and throw shit against the wall, and it works more more times than not. But it's the most, it's the least impactful, the, the least interesting, and it's probably the worst is Rampage Raw. It might go best, but it's three hours, so I can't do it, and I'll go SmackDown. So I a long winded. I kind of agree. <laughs> I think Ryan, you're right because as a guy who really likes matches and stuff like that, and Rampage. Over this year has had like AAA titles defended, Commander, yeah. fucking Vikingo's been on there, Taurus, Vikingo, like yeah. FTR fought Vikingo and Commander in an amazing match. Mystico was on there, Kevin Von Erich was on there, Will Ospreay, fucking Zach Saber. Like it's it's like a tape show that they know is not a very important storyline, and they know the people know the results, but the internet goes, Holy shit, there was a Vikingo fucking commander match that was fucking awesome, three stars, and people will watch it if they really care. And like all those matches that they put on there, if it was headlining an indie, you'd be like, if that came to your town, you'd be like, holy fuck, um, I don't know, fucking whatever, Shabbata fucking fucking Daniel Garcia. That's a fucking main event in an indie. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's there is a credence and there's value to it. Uh, I just think it does, I think it had a negative impact, a, a stink on it before they started really doing that and bringing a lot of the Lucha guys in there. So I don't know. I think Rampage is a fun show to pop on like the next morning after. It's hard to call it the worst, but it's really the least significant. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, not, I'm not thinking, right. I'm yeah. not thinking like, wow. Right. I'm thinking the major five shows, six right. shows. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's the one I've watched the least because I found. No real reason to, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm a big Lucha. I like a lot of Lucha guys, so yeah. I'm gonna go and watch that. Right. Like I think about. I mean, how much, about that shit, then, yeah. Like, how many hours of TV do we have a week? Twelve. Like you can't shit. watch it all. Three, right? seven in WWE. I, I still would go with Raw as the worst one. What you're saying, it's long, and it is. It's so predictable. It's been the same show for so long. It's like it's like the Big Bang Theory of fucking tell of wrestling, where 
it's so predictable. The setups are the same with how a show, a character is introduced in the beginning of the show. You know how it's going to come at the end. There's not, yeah, I don't think you're watching well. <laughs> it doesn't, I do. It's like, I'm not really watching it because I'm like, it's mostly how the matches do lose a lot of heat. I feel like the crowds are really dead in a lot of raw. And I think that's an issue that hopefully they'll fix. I know the mid card for women's is always fucking dead. I know whenever they go to a break and come back, it's always really fucking dead. So I think it's the three hours, like you're saying, that really is the issue. And SmackDown needs to get rid of the fucking fake crowd noise because that makes it one of the worst. The, like, the like raw women mind listening to the the raw women's division was pretty fucking bad all year. Like Rio, yeah, notwithstanding, yeah. But they I mean, shouldn't be filler on a show. That's important. That's what it's I just mean, three hours. You know, that's that's the that's the over the low 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 lying fruit there. Um, everybody tells me I don't do it because I'm a sicko, but everybody tells me you watch the condensed Hulu version. It's like a different show. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I, I would say with the the raw women, I think it's just a lack of exposure is causing the lack of crowd reactions to them. So I don't think uh, it's no one's fault necessarily. I think it's going to take some time, just like the tag team division, to make people care about the tag teams. Like uh, DIY, they started uh, caring about the Creed Brothers a little bit more and more. So I think if they still kind of slowly but surely build off that, their reactions uh, are going to grow in size. But I think NXT deserves to be in conversation for uh, maybe not the best show of the year, but the most consistent, just because the storylines are giving a lot of these people to shine. And uh, you're going to have like new talent and whether they sink or swim, we know like Thea Hale, she uh, broke out from uh, the Chase U stuff and now is doing well in her own developmental. Braun Breaker and his heel turn has done wonders for his career. So uh, I think it's just uh, for character uh, wise and story development wise, I think NXT could be very well in the conversation just for developing uh, storylines and talent for the future to see. It's it's really taste. It's ice cream. You know, you're gonna hate it because you're gonna get a, your stomach's gonna get sick if you eat too much of it, or you're gonna love it and you're gonna get a sugar rush and it tastes great and there's so many variety and you're gonna get it. So it's it's really subjective. Um, it's it funny just, that Rocco's boss is the uh, raw is the worst because the length, but I said it. It's what it could be considered the best if it was two hours. So that's it's a give and a go, a yin and a yang. And I had to get rid of the Judgment Day's theme on my uh, Spotify workout playlist because they were just like interrupt everybody who was in the ring on a raw i had to get rid of it and that i I like judgment day but i just had to like stop listening to that song that is one of the things real quick i know you're trying to move it on right about how AEW tv does have a lot more spontaneity too when you're watching it when you watch raw it is the same characters and you don't get those random things that are going to happen where guys don't disappear and like with raw like it does the same characters are in it and the storylines do move a little laconically paced so stuff is on your screen for a long time and they get a lot of time. So it's almost like it's it's easy to get sick of dudes in a certain way with the three hours included in that because the storyline, they are filling time with extraneous things, right? You got to be into the pro in ring promo to like raw. This is always good long ones. Yeah. But it's, it's really, and then Rocco, you could, that could be a strength for some people. And then, the spot in 80 and the heat in the in and out of the AEW could be a negative and you think it's a positive. So it's all, all right, it's like yeah. I said, ice cream. It's ice cream. All right, there's guys. So raw, I wish did, and there's things about AEW TV that I wish Raw did. Like, you know, there's a perfect yeah, show there somewhere, man. There's a perfect show somewhere. For sure. All right. Um, the next one, while while we're uh talking, while we're kind of going back and forth and we have uh opinions, we might as well go to Booker slash promoter of the year. So this one's hard. Um, Booker, 
Well, I don't think it's hard, but it's kind of hard to <laughs> separate the two. Booker, I think TV shows. I think matches. I think storylines. I think flow of the companies, flow of Raw, flow of SmackDown, flow of NXT, flow of AEW TV. I think of that. When I feel think promoter, I think money. I think meaningfulness. I think what draws you to the TV screen. So that's what I take away from the two because they are two separate categories, even though I combine them into them because we tend to go long. So I like to kind of clump things together. So I believe the promoter of the year is Khan, but not Tony Khan, <laughs> Nick Khan. I think Nick Khan makes the most money in the wrestling business. Uh, I, when I say, when you say promoter, I think old school promoter means money. So I think when I think money and I think success, I think Nick Khan within the, within the wrestling world. And then Booker of the year. Some people say Shawn Michaels. <clears throat> I think um, I see the memes of Shawn Michaels promoter of the year. And I think that they're, they're memes. I don't think it's serious. Even though I think Shawn is legit doing a great job with a bunch of green guys, but it's a bunch of green guys. Uh, early. You said that show closed really well. I agree. Um, he may, he's doing a good job establishing characters. Sean does a great job of presenting women on TV. He does a great job of working to people's strength. And a lot of these green guys only have very limited strengths and he does a good job of highlighting it. And that's the NXT product, but it is not Sean Michaels. Tony Khan has his strengths. Of course, he also has his flaws. I think his flaws have shined a lot more than his strength this year, but I think it's easily triple H. Just look how much he's come in and, illuminated the product especially at the end of last year and how sour it got post wrestlemania when vince started sprinkling his vince dust on it and how good it was going into wrestlemania when vince kind of you can tell when vince was muddling around pushing around and then you can just see how strong it has flown the last few years and i do believe keeping the belt on roman reigns all year was the smart move and it will pay off in 2024 and uh, I think that is ultimately due to Triple H's booking of Roman Reigns and the top guys, and especially reestablishing and refocusing Seth Rollins and ultimately bringing CM Punk into the company. CM Punk had a black cloud, so to speak, around him, and Triple H took that risk. He calculated calculated it. He drew up the best formula, and he booked it, booked it out for success, and I believe long-term he will book it out for even better success. So... um. I think Triple H is hanging a banner here in Stanford, Connecticut for Booker of the Year. Either one, anyone want to jump in and add? Uh, I, I mean, with Triple H, I do have criticisms with the booking, whether it's his fault, whether it's his fault or not. Uh, the representation of the women's roster, I felt, could have been a lot stronger overall across, across uh, both brands. Uh, same thing with uh, the tag team division just because it seemed like for the tag team title feuds, like it's only like, oh, we have a tag team in the waiting just in case, you know, with uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, when they won the tag titles at WrestleMania, they didn't really do anything with them until the Judgment Day and that stuff. And then the Judgment Day, they feud with Cody and Jay. And then again, it's like everyone waiting a turn, even though you do have tag teams on the roster. So Triple H does very well when booking main to mid-level stories. Like I think he's done phenomenal with the Gunther title reign. I think he's done phenomenal with uh, Seth Rollins' title reign, even though Seth Rollins isn't really 
presented in the best light because not only does he have to establish a new championship, he's establishing all these people who aren't taking really seriously as world title competitors at the time they were receiving those title shots. So I think there are criticisms to be made with Triple H. Uh, with Shawn Michaels, I will say he's probably the most consistent out of all the bookers on the list just because he does have that limited talent pool, but he does so in a way to accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. It's very Paul Heyman-esque. The difference is all those guys are probably getting paid. So it's just one of those things where what do you choose? I think uh, since Triple H took over the creative, you have seen a very dramatic shift in a lot of things for the better. So I do agree Triple H is probably Booker of the Year. Um, I mean, Tony Khan, definitely whoever's, whoever's doing whatever they're, the globalization of WWF is nailing it. If that's him, I you said Tony, I mean, Nick Khan is the, definitely that whoever's that, that's that guy's fucking killing it. Contract uh, says Khan, but right. it's not Nick. <laughs> but I don't know. The thing with the trips thing is that like you're saying also October 15th, like, that's when Vince actually was actually kicked out of the whole deal. So, I mean, when you take over a new company or something like that, it takes a while to really get your shit in there. And it seemed like, you know, trips was bringing in his old dudes, like his chompas and bringing those guys back when he first kind of came on, but it does take a while to establish these guys. And I have the same problems with the women's division when they, when you're not the na- name, the top four people. But I think Tony Khan, like when you're every month, when the pay-per-view comes together and sometimes it comes together pretty late, all those ring of honor pay-per-views fucking were awesome. The last one was great. All the AEW pay-per-views themselves are Super cards are genuinely well. Sometimes the WWF cards do have a lot of matches that are inconsequential and could be on a Raw. So I don't know the whole promoter Booker thing. Like I don't know the best booked cards are the ones that I like the most this year have been AEW Tony Khan book cards. But I don't know. Like what the fuck do I know? But I will say the mid the, the when the the World Title Tournament happened, the one that Rollins won. The names in that tournament do show you that there's a massive lack of depth in the top of the card. When you're not a Brock, you're not a Cody, you're not a um, uh, Roman, like believably Ray, Theory, Lashley, Sheamus, like they don't really have that next level dudes. And that's where his, this first year of trips booking officially, Vince gone, Royal Rumble, his first Royal Rumble, you know, like that's where you're really going to see the acumen that he has in doing it and getting that level of that old school way of there could be six guys that are worthy, that could be going throughout, you know, when you have your your angle, your rock, your undertaker, your cane, your Austin, you know, and that's the true like greatest part. AEW does have that because they have so many believable world champion possibility guys. That's what I think trips needs to get to. And that's going to be where his strength comes to. So I don't know. I like, I like the booking of con stuff better, but it's the, also, my I mean, positivity like... towards WWE right now. And the things he's changed are fucking awesome in how yeah. guys are presented compared to the, the Vince way. But I just, I will add to that. Shucks though. Vince triple H likes to, Tony likes to throw all of his hot biggest matches on pay-per-view because he's trying to get you to spend 50 bucks. Triple H likes to put like 75% of his stuff going there. And then he like sprinkle sprinkles the rest of the blow-offs. Like look at Gunther. Gunther wasn't on a lot of pay-per-views, but he was on a lot of Raws or SmackDowns around the pay-per-view in, you know, that added value to that Raw, especially like think of SummerSlam. Coming out of SummerSlam, he had that he had that big match with Gable. And then think coming out of payback, he had that big raw match with Gable. So he was presented and built up around 
SummerSlam, but he wasn't necessarily on SummerSlam. He kind of had an overflow match. And if he put that, either one of those matches on those two pay-per-views, it would have kind of blown him a lot of their stuff out of the water. And then this, he did that with Becky Lynch a lot too. So he has a lot of overflow stuff and he presents really big TV matches too, in a way too. He used the tag titles great on TV, even though they weren't on pay-per-view a lot. So, so it's like, People still thinking like it's kind of archaic, but the Triple H does a good job of flowing TV and mixing it with, with the pay per views with PLEs because they are PLEs. But TK is in the pay per view business, so it's different flows. You can't really compare. Well, booking, a, booking a big TV match does lose a what does lose a little gravity though. You know what I mean? Like when you have like the oh, EO EO Oscar match. Yeah, but you still like when, a little bit more important. But when you're just looking back at it, I'm not thinking, I'm talking about the actual product, not the ratings or the money that it draws. Like when you're watching it as a product, being on that TV does take away a little bit of like a three hour crowd watching a main event of Raw. The crowd's a little less, a, a commercial break messes up the flow, like the EO Oscar match. I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm nitpicking, but I'm talking about like a great piece of art that you're supposed to really enjoy. And having it be on that pay per view really makes you go back and look at those things. More importantly, you go back and watch pay-per-view matches more than you watch raw matches probably so i'm just saying it takes away a little and i mean khan's throwing out fucking kenny omega mjf for 30 minutes on a, a, a collision too right so i mean we're it, i'd rather watch a gumper tv match than a like a, a forced in aew pay-per-view match just to fit it all in i mean i do see i i do see both uh perspectives of it you know with uh the triple h booking philosophy the ple's uh, less less is more, I think, uh, because usually his cards are about five to seven matches, you know, and all of them get uh, enough and an appropriate amount of time with the AEW card. A lot of like Tony Khan will give a lot of people spots on the pay-per-views. And as we've seen this week and like the pay-per-view weeks uh, before, the pay-per-view cards aren't really fully announced until the week of. And then you're stuck, uh, not stuck, but it's like you have 11 matches and it's almost like a buffet plate, you know, with a buffet plate, you could just put all this different food, just like, like going, 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 going. But again, eyes are bigger than your stomach, you know? So it's like these shows are going to last until like 12, one o'clock in the morning when uh, Triple H's shows, it's a little bit less more. And then he's building those TV shows as well. And he really made the Intercontinental Championship for a good bulk of the year, though, the raw branded championship of those main events. So, and to keep that crowd invested, during those times well aw they do have uh special shows you know they have the winter is coming they have the uh, fighter fest they have all those different shows but sometimes it could bleed in and kind of blend together so i could tell you what happened when gunther defended his championship whether it was a raw or a ple but i can't tell you what happened at a fighter fest or a winter is coming or any of those special shows so it's just different perspectives of like how to either like depending on if you're in the PLE business or the streaming business or the pay-per-view business. Yeah. Like I, I think of the, the length too, like that's like triple H can do a three hour pay-per-view with five matches. Right. Um, which, you know, has clutter, but you know, yeah, you've got your commercials and you've got the, the corporate aspect of it that leads to that. Right. But I, I think that's, that's kind of a downfall to con too is, he has to, it feels like he has to get everybody on the card, which you don't like 
for well, instance, if you're doing for, if you're if you're paying sixty bucks, you don't want a three hour pay per view. You want a fucking five hour. I don't want to. I don't want to see it's matches different. that don't matter, though. You know what I mean? Like if I'm buying World's End, I'm buying it by behind the 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 big matches, right? So give those matches the time. Then I don't need to see Abaddon. You know what I mean? Like there's things that shouldn't be on pay per view, and and I respect it. I respect it that he wants to give people that time with a little yeah. bit more, you know, eyes on it. But I also just think it it works when he was doing four shows a year. Now that he's doing more, I think that if he peels that back a little bit and really fuses his five hours of TV time to really build show to show and make the matches make sense, like like for instance, Keith Lee and Swerve. We know that's a natural match, right? But unless you watch the ROH pay-per-view, then you didn't really feel the levity of why that match was happening. And then not only that, if you're paying attention to it, you could have easily predicted the finals of this Continental, this, uh, Continental Classic, right? Um, because you knew Swerve's not going to wrestle somebody. He's going to wrestle Keith Lee. So that's where the TV kind of becomes predictable at times once you figure out what the pay-per-view card is. And I don't know. I just I feel like you you he cuts off his um he cuts off his arm sometimes trying to put these shows together and like almost like he panics at the end, you know, where I feel like Triple H does his five or six matches, which sounds crazy that like five or six matches are a pay-per-view, but I get it too. Like I also agree with you, Rocco, at the point that if I'm gonna pay fifty bucks, give me everything I got when I'm paying five bucks to watch WrestleMania. You, you know what I mean? So it's it's different business models so it's a tough comparison when it's not not different business models at the same time you know yeah i think it's just gonna be an adjustment period uh because before they could sell AEW cards just on the AEW name alone now you have to start building those cards so it's just gonna be an adjustment period again different flavor ice creams all right Mm -hmm. richie worst feud of the year (laughs) Uh, okay uh this one uh is so disappointing to me because i like both people involved in this feud and the reason why this is my worst feud of the year is because not only did it devalue a championship in my opinion that hasn't been fully rehabbed but it's getting there but it uh, devalued two guys who I think the world of and could have been the future of this company. But now it's a lot of hurry up and wait when it comes to them. And that is the TNT championship feud between Wardlow and powerhouse Hobbs. And with wow. that War- Ward Wardlow was one of the brightest stars in AEW. In my opinion, he was getting tremendous reactions and then he sort of slowed down, sort of slowed down a bit, but then he beat Samoa Joe, got some momentum again. Then he lost to Powerhouse Hobbs, and Powerhouse Hobbs was a part of again, like we said, QTV, and they just didn't do anything with either guy, and it just kind of felt like just a match that was happening. And whether it should have been like a legitimately blood feud because hey, they took this guy's championship after he's trying to build momentum. And it just goes to show uh, what happens when you start and stop so many times of this push that you almost have to rehab these guys in order to reboot them. They already rebooted Wardlow. He's now started to somewhat get his steam back, but not to the level as it once was. And Powerhouse Hobbs, he's in another group. You know, this is his third faction in AEW. And 
he should be presented as a bigger star than he is instead of being an associate. It should be based around him, but every group that he's been in, he wasn't really the main guy that was a part of it. So that's why I think this is the worst feud of the year because not only did it devalue those two guys' stock, in my opinion, but it also devalued the TNT Championship, which at one point was one of the most important and viable championships in the professional wrestling realm. So uh, thankfully, Christian Cage has rehabilitated this championship that's been down in the gutter for so long, but that was definitely a low point of that championship's history was that feud between Wardlow and Powerhouse Hop. No no uh, dissing either guy because they're both tremendous performers. It's just like, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, I'll, uh, I totally forgot that happened. Uh, I'm going to go worst feud in the, for me of the year, and I'm going to kind of go with the same sentiment, different company, and I'm going to go Brock and Bobby Lashley. Uh, I bet you forgot it happened. It kind of was a dream feud, so to speak, and it was just totally disappointing, and it didn't really go anywhere, and it just was pretty blah. Um, I mean, I kind of piggybacking off my same idea of uh, expectations and reality is the Brock Cody feud was really disappointing outside of the ring, the motivations and why everything was happening and a lot of the stuff in between and the way it ended was so awkward and strange and weird and none of that stuff made sense. Also, Brock selling for Cody with his stupid uh, disaster kick is uh, embarrassing for Brock to watch him pretend like that thing is even connecting to him, and it always annoys me. But just that the, the threads that weed through that that feud are just I, none of it makes any sense to me, and I don't think anyone benefited from it other than, I mean, the cool visual of Brock weeding is always fun on a <laughs> one of the rare times you see some blood in WWE. But yeah, just a disappointment of none of it. I, they never explained a goddamn thing to me why any of that was happening. And just Cody doing his Cody thing to make up for it is not enough for me. Ross, are you got a worst of anything? Nah, not really. Nah, we can, we can keep it moving. Yeah, I, I will I say with the I will say the Brock and Cody thing just a real quick. I think it, it almost like just for because the reason wasn't shared at all. I think what almost made up for it is Brock for the first time actually. Uh, endorsed somebody so that almost pretty much made up for the lack of reasoning i thought that endorsement was a pure troll i thought he was obviously being an asshole to him like the body language was so off and i was watching it like he's being a total he's just an awkward guy grabbing his injured arm and dragging like to me something was just he's an awkward guy the SummerSlam match was really good though i thought that it ended well yeah, yeah, you know, it's just like uh, my pit peeve with the SummerSlam match was Cody hit Brock with the steps and no DQ was announced. So that was like my pet peeve with it. But again, I think the endorsement of Brock to Cody uh, meant a lot for Cody and helped Cody in the long run. So that's why I wouldn't consider this the worst. But it's like I could definitely see your point of view just because, again, it was very it was just a weird vibe the entire ride through, you know, and it's just like he's has this arm injury, he doesn't have it, then he has it again. You know, it was just like, it's it's like reading a story out of order. You know, we started with chapter one, then we moved on to chapter 13, now we're back to chapter seven, you know, so. I think it went a little too long, too. Yeah. I think it was uh, the last, per- uh, the last kind of thing Vince McMahon threw at us. It's typical Vince booking right there. You know, they had some, it, it, it's probably good for Cody in the long run, but it, it didn't really necessarily, 
make any sense in in the in the in the, in the, in the interim. I'm sure, it's a, I'm, I'm sure it's a feud that Cody really wanted. You know, they, they might explain they might explain it like a like a hypothetically like if Cody needs a partner to face like Roman and Solo, he asks for Brock and Paul Heyman. It's like, oh, I paid Brock off to attack you that night after WrestleMania. They could do something like that, kind of tie yeah. it all together. But as of now, it's an unfinished. Uh, web they haven't finished the story on that one guys <laughs> no no they haven't <laughs> all right rocco let's get some uh positivity here give us your most improved for 2023 okay i'm gonna go um my first thought was like because you could do most improved booking i think that would be shinsuke like his character is now the best thing that they, he's done in wwe but that's not really what this is about Swerve getting to the main event level, but he was always really good. But I think I'm going to go like a little lesser is uh, A.W. Julia Hart. I think went from just being a manager to have being a really solid wrestler and being a case of A.W.'s NXT. They kind of do on air and you're kind of watching her start very uh, um, in her nascent period of her career. And by the end, yeah. And then was a manager and became a really good as a, a manager and she does really cool in, uh, promos backstage and the matches she did when she was running up to getting the TNT belt were all really good. So um, she's become really entertaining from someone that was pretty much just learning how to wrestle and over the course of this year. So I'm going to give it to her and sky blue, her friend, like they're kind of the, uh, the one a one B of uh, TNT mid card female wrestlers. I think both have gotten really good and perfected their character and are getting to be going to be really good wrestlers. And uh, that's who I would pick. Some would say Sky Blue is was ready and already improved, if you know what I mean, Rocco. But I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's actually I would have I didn't really give this one any thought since it wasn't my category. But I think Julia Hart is an excellent pick. Um, she her, her she's weaving through her character. It's just been excellent, and you can see the building blocks. And she, they've done really great. Um, she, leaving the House of Black, but keeping the elements of the House of Black, and really illuminating it within her character and bringing it her in that character up to the next stage and honestly she's like 21 22 years old i could see her at the end of her contract getting stolen and getting a, mm. a nice little pay bump by the wwe all based up off of her character work that she developed all right in front of us so i think that's a very warranted pick any other one of you other one of you two have a pick <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna give a couple shouts to a couple AEW guys that i feel like really kind of grabbed the bull by the horns this year when given the opportunity. Uh, Big Bill, uh, the good old Big Cass. Um, the guy the guy really just had a good year. Like, he had that – I really turned around when he was in that um, tag team thing with Brian Cage. They had some killer matches in that tournament. And he's just parlayed that on. Like, him and Starks work good together. Um, and then another two guys that I think had a really good year and you didn't really care about them much at all in 2022 were the Guns. Um, they had some really good matches. Their feud with FTR was solid. Um, and, I mean, putting them in Bullet Club Gold was awesome. Like, I really thought that made a ton of sense. Yep. And then, But I'm going to give my two biggest most improved to the, where they should be the most improved because that's where they are trying to improve every week. And that is going to be down in NXT with both Trick Williams and who I think is the top most improved of the year. And we can thank Becky Lynch for kind of putting the finishing touches on her as, as Tiffany Stratton. I think that she's still so green, but she is yeah. a very competent in-ring performer now. And 
you know, I think that she could come up to the main roster tomorrow and, and you know, turn some heads. So um, when if you told me that even six months ago, I was like, no, she's got a lot of work to do. So I, I give Becky a ton of credit for that because and that was probably Becky's real reason for being down there. Right. Um, but it worked. And I think those two are in a much better standing now, not even in their NXT roles now, but where they will eventually be when they get to the main roster. Yeah, I think Trick is a great one and very warranted for Tiffany. Richie, do you have one you want to throw? Any hatch? Yeah, I, de- I, I definitely uh, think Trick Williams is probably the top along with Tiffany uh, Stratton. But uh, one that I'm shocked that we didn't say yet is Dom Mysterio. You know, he oh, had wow. a so, career, yeah. career uh, breakout year and uh, he channeled pretty much became the most hated guy in the business. You know, whether they're turning down his mic or not, you know, there are still people who are just booing the heck out of him. And they're like, this could have been thrown away you know they could have just thrown away his heat but they've gone with him and he's been the most i i think he's had the most matches uh i think it's like him and cody and ludwig yeah, Kaiser. Cody has like five more if that yeah and again dom's been on every show he's been on raw he's been on smackdown he's been on nxt and he's just consistent he's a great antagonist to anybody he's facing and his in-ring work has improved. And again, it takes two people to make a match. You know, he's had great matches with Dragon Lee. He's had great matches with uh, Cody. I think he had uh, another good one with Seth. So again, he's just been consistent and he's, uh, they gave him the ball and he ran with it and he is not uh, slowing down. Yeah, for sure. Uh, WWE, I mean, 2023 has been a great year across the board. And uh, it's kind of a transition year, too, in a lot of ways that we can look back and see, like, wow, that guy's rose, that guy rose, that that guy rose. So, uh, yeah, very, very, all our picks were really warranted. All right, Rossi, the best and worst major wrestling show for 2023. Oh, man. Um, I think I'm going to get some kickback on this based off what some people here have said about bad matches. Um, but I'm going to go with the best show as WrestleMania. Um, now it had its downfalls. It had its downfalls. It definitely had its moments where it wasn't that great. Like, you know, the, the, um, Cena match or whatever. But at the end of the day, when I started thinking about these shows, like there was a couple, like I was thinking about forbidden door. It was a really good show. I was thinking about backlash. That was a really good show too. Um, but when I started thinking about this WrestleMania, we could have theoretically had the best women's match in WrestleMania history between Rhea and Charlotte. The best tag match in WrestleMania history that didn't involve ladders, right? Um, the culmination of an awesome Rey Mysterio Dom story, and they delivered that perfectly. And that isn't even getting into matches like Rollins and Logan Paul, which really over delivered. Um, matches like the maybe the best IC match in WrestleMania history, Gunther, Drew, and Sheamus. And for as many people were upset about how the, the Reigns Cody match ended, the match was fucking awesome. Like they, they really, they put a good match together. They really pulled the string from you when you thought that Cody had it won. Um, and it really just felt like a big match. Like as you were watching it, like you, you had like that edge of your seat thing going to it. So, and even like the goofy parts, like I, I'm looking like I Google like worst WWE matches of the year. And like, there's so many of them that were like Shane McMahon and Snoop Dogg against the Miz. It's like, but if you didn't watch that with a smile on your face, then what are we even doing? 
You know what I mean? Um, Snoop hitting the the um, people's elbow was just hilarious, and that's something that can get replayed for too. a very long time, right? Um, so there was just so much good in this show, um, and it's one of those things that it's it, it was so much better on two nights than it would have been in one night because you would have had a fatigue, and not everybody would have had their spot. And I just overall thought that it was the the best two night WrestleMania that they've done. Um, and I think that there was really something for everybody when you sat down and watched those shows. Um, I agree. From a WWE standpoint, WrestleMania 39, best show of the year. Before we jump to the worst, do either one of you want to throw out, or do you guys either one of you want to agree or throw out another match? Uh, I agree. It probably would be WrestleMania 39, both nights uh, delivered. And it was single-handedly got one of my friends back into wrestling, like, full-time. You know, he was always kind of like, he was kind of lapsed, and then he came back in. And he said, like, those two nights, like, reinvigorated my passion for wrestling. So, it, it, that those two nights pretty much had something for everybody. And yeah. the way it ended, like, I thought was, like, it was a bit of a shock. It was kind of like, uh, like, because uh, everyone was thinking Cody was going to win, and then... He didn't, and then it almost had like that same vibe of uh, like when Taker's streak uh, got ended to a lot of people. Like everyone was just kind of shocked because you're like, "Oh God, Roman's reign is uh, still going." But again, it was a great show. I mean, Forbidden Door was really great, and Full Gear yeah. I thought was had some of the best things I've seen in wrestling this year on it. Um, Backlash, like you said, Mike, I mean, fuck, man, that might have been one of the most fun I had. It was almost like Canadian Stampede level of, like, everything was so elevated. You know, EO seemed like the biggest star in the world that night, like, Bad Bunny. Like, it was such a fun show to watch because of the environment. So it's hard to, you know, certain parts of a show, every, every part of a show is important, and that crowd really elevated the shit out of that show. So one of the more fun just experiences, just taking it all in. I had all year with WWE. Sure. Uh, right. And Rumble. I also, I, I want to give a shout out to the Rumble because last year I said the Rumble was the worst show of the year uh, for 2022. And I thought that they really like bounced back this year with the Rumble matches themselves. And then obviously that awesome closing segment with uh, Reigns and Zane. Um, but yeah, worst show. I'm going with all out, not all in, all out. And that is a victim of how they put them a week apart. Um, it, it just never really had a chance. Now, there were things that happened that obviously caused it to fall off a cliff, like Punk not being able to have a strap match with Ricky Starks and finish that story, and then having to pigeonhole Danielson in on, like, one night's notice to have a strap match. Um, it just it kind of was a good match, but it just didn't. It was flat because they did, there wasn't really animosity there on why these guys are whipping the hell out of each other, other than the fact that Danielson, who was a heel at the time, was friends with the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, right? Um, on top of that, another thing that I think back about on that show that really annoys me, and this kind of goes back to that to the booking thing that kind of disappoints me sometimes with Khan, is on a on a one week span they had Takeshi to beat Omega twice. Since that show, Takeshi has won has had one singles match in AEW. Why did he beat Kenny Omega twice if you had no plans for him, right? Um, the MJF, there was no MJF title match, which I understand. But then they had a super flat tag match with the Dark Order. I think it opened the show, for, if I was wrong. Remember that? Um, Joe and Shane Taylor got interested, got announced like on Friday and, and to the majority of the crowd, who the hell is Shane Taylor? Um, and then they randomly put together an eight-man tag where FTR and the Bucks were friends. Um, all in all, 
Um, OC Moxley was a, was a pretty good main event, but on most AEW shows, that was like a mid-card match, right? Um, at the end of the day, they basically killed off their all-out brand to, for the, the, the all-in brand that's now in Wembley, and that's okay, but they shouldn't be a week apart, and this is going to be something that we might talk about every year because how do you follow up a stadium that that is you know legendary status with a show the next week that's going to automatically feel flat? It's no fault of any of the wrestlers on the show, but they were done a disservice by that show being put together. And by having things happen on the show that really didn't have long-term plans behind them after it. I don't know. I don't really have a worse show. I, I guess I agree, but I, I remember the expectations back to Rocco's thing. The expectations were so low that those guys went out there. And pretty much most of it delivered that it's hard to call it such a, a worse yeah, show. I kind of thought they pulled it off, man. So yeah, I, I just and and the thing is too, it's yeah. If you watch the show and you went in with low expectations, you had a good time. But there, what other shows were worse? I mean, the Saudi. That's show what I was going to get to. Um, that was a fun. Which Saudi show though? Crown, Crown Jewel, Jewel, I guess. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. a fucking. Bomb. The second one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, but I don't really. There's the a lot first of things, one was awesome. A lot, there's a lot like, of good aspects into it. I don't know. Like, I don't think it was like like bad necessarily. It was, just, it was it was just like the least good. <laughs> Actually, I have the answer. It's the NWA show. It did they did the <laughs> that's probably the worst show of the year. Yeah, you know. Fair. Speaking of, hold on, guys. It's been a long show. I'll be right back. Oh. All right, I'm back. Uh, we're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> oh my god. I don't know. It's, it's a hard. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I didn't have this category. This is a hard one. Yeah, I don't. I don't love it. Like I, again, there was a lot of people on that show that were given opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise, right? Like Orange Cassidy, right? And I love Orange Cassidy, so I was happy he did. But if I'm gonna compare, however many pay per views WWE had, however many pay per views AEW had, I just thought that all in all, it had the least replay value and felt the least important. From that aspect, I don't think you're wrong. I wouldn't really want to go back and watch it, but I think that. What they had to work with, they they delivered it well. So it's kind of like you're not wrong, but if if that's your worst show, it's a pretty great fucking year. All right, anyone who ha- else want to add to the great or the worst? All right, good. So I am up. I will jump to the best non wrestler of the year. Um, so I think the easy answer is Paul Heyman. I think he could be the answer every year. Uh, I think he just adds so much to the bloodline. He fills in a lot of gaps into Roman Reigns's um, empty schedule, so to speak. He mo- moves a lot of parts. He's so charismatic. Um, he adds a lot backstage. And then you could easily go to Don Callis. Uh, same role as Paul Heyman, but just not as impactful. Um, but with Don Callis, there's a lot of moving parts, even to last night with Sammy. Sammy Guevara coming back and oh you're back but here's a here's a uh, a painting of you so there's like a kind of lot of emptiness what is his family it's a bunch of parts that are um that has potential but it just kind of feels thrown together but he's so charismatic um and entertaining uh and speaking of entertaining and in really impactful for a character Prince Nana even though that motherfucker just dance I was going to say that. I was going to say that. He he elevated Swerve and like He's, to just like an entertainment level, right? Yes. He really sets sprinkles on that 
Rocky Road ice cream. Yo, I don't, it's Rocky Road, man. It's so fucking good. Do I really need sprinkles? But God, these sprinkles work. They are so good. These sprinkles are excellent. Uh, shit, they've been in the cabinet for a while, but they just hit. And I don't think I want Rocky Road again without these sprinkles. So that's the example that I would give for Prince Nada. But when you look at it, it's really just sprinkles and sizzle because all he does is just this. Like, that's all he has to do. Like that's all. Like but that's all right? he has to do. He and is, it's it's cool because Swerve is annoyed by him. Like Swerve's body but language, and, but he and that's what yeah. that's what's perfect about it is that this guy serves a purpose to me. I need him for. He's a manager. He books my flights and shit like that. You know, Paul Ellering yeah. style. But he's a fucking goofball. We all have friends like that. We all have coworkers. Mm -hmm. You know that we're like, all right, this motherfucker again. So but, yeah, and mm -hmm. and that's what I like is that he is he is not into him, but knows he's necessary. And it's the body language between them that really sells Nana's goofiness. He's and also honestly, a big reason Swerve is over as he is right now. I was just gonna man. say it, Richie. If we took Prince Nana away from him in the embassy and all that stuff. And because that wasn't really clicking when they threw Swerve with it, they kind of combined two things and made it the embassy and the mogul. And they're like, all right, we're, we're the embassy mogul, right? So, kind of two things in No Man's Land. If they didn't have Nana with Swerve, would Swerve be an ascending star up the rankings? I mean, Swerve has all the tools, but that's he the has thing all the tools. The but was that was not of the missing piece? Mm -hmm. Was not of the missing piece that we didn't think we and needed? Then or to accelerate the process. Right. Maybe. In an AEW yeah. roster that's loaded with high end wrestlers, like it was easy. It's easy for a guy like Swerve to get lost. This mm -hmm. gave him that little something that made yeah. him memorable, you know? Yeah. And I think Callus yeah. over Heyman is that Heyman can be a little maudlin little he pushes into the goofy aspects and the ridiculousness of it sometimes. Like and well, Callus is so fucking mean and evil <laughs> like Heyman doesn't seem evil he seems calculating and calculating, uh, yes but Callus is evil and calculating and the music they give him which is I think the brown noise essentially like it's it's a good fucking package and he's he's really good at I that. think and, those are the top three contenders yeah. um but it's just it's just hard for me like gun to my head I would pick Paul Heyman but if you wanted to pick any three I don't think you're wrong you know I feel I mean? like uh outside guy that we're not talking about, and he has wrestled during this year, but now he's not wrestling is Nick Aldis. I think he's proving a lot of people wrong by saying like he was not very charismatic when he was an NWA mm -hmm. or Impact. And I think he's proving a lot of people wrong in this general manager role, and he is actually excelling in this role and is bringing something different by having an actual backbone as a general manager instead of a pushover as we're seeing right now, you know, and I think uh, yeah. he's going to have a phenomenal 2024. I was just say, I think that's a hell of a candidate for 2024. Even Pierce, like, like Pierce isn't going to be on the same level, but he's a necessity. He's a necessity to make TV go right. Especially in a three hour raw format. Right. Um, I mean, his interactions backstage with like Chelsea green, for instance, that's just phenomenal TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, any way you shake it out, it's definitely those three. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Um, I think those three choices are excellent. All right, Ross or Richie, your last he your last pick here in the class B is give us a best high flyer, a best technical wrestler, and a best brawler. All right. So this was the most difficult just because there's a lot of things to check off here. 
High flyer was I was in between two. It was uh, Dragon Lee and El Hio del Vikingo. Uh, ultimately, Great I, uh, thank you. Uh, ultimately, I picked uh, Dragon Lee. Uh, I feel like he is mostly pretty solid with his execution. I don't see him uh, botch as much as uh, Vikingo, but Vikingo is also going at 15 miles an hour. So, or, or like 50 miles an hour and just like, go, 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 go. And sometimes that leads to some awesome high flying maneuvers. But at the same time, uh, I saw an ROH final battle. He would also kind of sets up some convoluted things that don't always pay off, but that's why they call it high risk, high reward. But, uh, overall I'm more, uh, entertained by dragon Lee. So that was my pick, uh, best technician, Brian Danielson. Uh, he's been on fire as his last full year as a full-time professional wrestler. And I think he's grabbing every ounce of just ring time as he can injuries, notwithstanding, uh, both of his, both of his injuries were freak accidents. And I don't think that, uh, was because of his style at all, but, uh, he's just showing up from the Iron Man match with MJF to the Zack Sabre jr. Match to, uh, his continental classic run to the strap match with Ricky Starks. I think he has uh, flowed in his technician style in many different ways and genres uh, of this year. And uh, Brawler, I was in between Kevin Owens and John Moxley. Uh, Moxley, he's, I don't want to say it looks sloppy, but it looks real. Because in a real fight, you, you're not going to look clean. You're going to look pretty sloppy. Uh, mm-hmm. With Kevin Owens, he hasn't had that many opportunities to have a strictly like brawling style. He did have that at Extreme Rules, and I thought he did very well. And it was pretty cool that he was wearing a Terry Funk shirt, and he was just had had like the crimson mask on. And I think that was probably his best performance of this year. But uh, for consistency, even though I'm not a fan of all of his matches, and he does bleed a lot during his matches, which is the meme, uh, probably if. John Moxley, you know, but again, it's going to switch on the day. So I might say John Moxley today and Kevin Owens tomorrow. But as of now, in this second, John Moxley. Yeah, it's pretty good. Either one, of, either one of you guys got to add to that. I don't really have the the uh, the energy right now to kind of think into that one. I I agree with Dragon Lee. Moxley and KO is perfect, and Danielson for sure all day every day for technical. I think you've dragged off a little bit with the um, brawler too, because his high profile profile matches become like hockey fights. Like the one with Dijak was just ridiculous, right? Um, and like even the ones with Mello, like they turn Mello into more of a brawler than he ever is normally. Um, so I mean, just the physicality that he has, it's not unlike Gunther in a way that they're such good wrestlers that. You don't want to typecast them as a brawler, but when they're in the proper brawler type match, there's probably nobody better. You know, I do think Dragunov is probably the best in-ring competitor in all of WWE currently, strictly from an in-ring perspective. Just like everything he does, like the intricacies of like his facial expressions and how, like, go back at that Dijak match, which which was um, that was in Lowell in May, right, Ryan? Yeah. That thing was like like 14 minutes and it was just like a fucking war. Like that and, and obviously I love Dijak. I'm gonna probably favor him most of the time anyways, but but that match ruled. 
Yeah, my like my list was pretty much the same as Rich. I mean, fucking Vikingo. Sometimes like Sabu style, the botches make the connections even more exciting. So, but I think EO deserves a little uh, love in there. Maybe it's not as crazy as Vikingo, but when she does it, it's always amazing to watch and impactful. And uh, I would give Claudio a little bit on the technical side this year. And Mox is always that guy. But uh, LA Park at Triple Mania, the three Triple Manias this year had some really good brawls. But um, sneaker guy would be uh, Brody King or Hangman Page if I had like some good brawls this year as well. So, but Mox always Brody Hangman's a great one. Brody had a good tournament. Yeah, Hangman's a sneaky guy because when he's doing his buck stuff, he does that. But then when he has the brawls, man, he fucking brings it. And Eddie, you got to give Eddie King's in a throw too with this. Yeah. Yeah. All good. All right. Rocco, most overrated and most underrated for 2023. Um, underrated, I'm going to go. I'll throw out Akira Tozawa just because I don't know if he's even rated. Um, uh, Jonah, maybe, but I think he's just not seen. I think maybe Gigi Dolan, who kind of seemed like she was getting a lot of acclaim and just kind of got shelved in NXT. I don't know. If did she's you see her on the, on the subway? I'll send you that <laughs> I did not, but I would say those maybe are some stuff. And, I just want uh, to pop posse. But um, overrated, it's it's kind of weird to say. I mean, it's, it goes into my whole thing about maybe Roman not being the greatest thing in the world like a lot of you guys think he is. I just think a lot of it was just – it's the same thing that I've been saying. Is like I, I just don't – I just have not bought in as much as you guys had. I don't want to get into it too long because I can see Ryan's eyes falling out of his head. But the things like – He's just to me like he's just not there, and when he's not there, he's a non-entity. No one's talking about him. I, the portrayal is more. People talk about the portrayal in a way that is not what I see on the screen. When Hogan wasn't there in WCW, everyone was talking about Hogan. Sting was trying to get him the whole time. When when Roman's not there, not it seems like he's just not there, and that's it. Like it, I just I don't agree with him being this god of wrestling at the current level. It's a discussion that we could have in a much longer form, but that's just my opinion on it. Also, LA Knight, I love that he's over, but when he wrestles, I don't really get into it that much. That's all. Not the worst take. Not the best take. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I Rhea is a better character than Roman is. on, And I think he's a she's a more complete character as a leader, as a Tony Soprano of a group. I think she has been more dynamic, more important to the WWF TV especially Raw, especially the show she's on. But, like, I think she's been filling the blanks in that he's not there to do. With Roman, I don't know why he's – is he supposed to be rich? Does the bloodline make him rich? He doesn't dress like he's rich. He doesn't talk about being rich. He doesn't ever talk about what he wants from his group or what his group does to him, whatever this bloodline is. It's just two old men in solo at this point. I just don't – I just don't buy into why it's such a massive thing that he does this. Like, he doesn't – he just sits in a room in the back. The power it's of the what? Power. He's, he's, he's he got rich? the titles. He's the man. He's used but the title doesn't, he doesn't defend it. We'll t- we can talk about this some other day. We're not doing hot take. Overrated. And I love him. I think he's excellent. I think he's the absolute future of this business. But his title reign has been a bit overrated. And his shine has dimmed a little bit. And unfortunately, I think a little overrated this year has been MJF. Just a little. Just as that, the, yeah, I think the babyface run has been a little underwhelming. When and, and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to poo-poo on what like does like his storytelling that got him to that point because he yeah. had his cool like promos, but it's just a, a little bit seems right when it comes to the Cole story and now the Joe story, yeah. right? 
like he's got to be friends with somebody until the two minutes before their match. Like, and obviously the Joe thing had a little bit of a swerve to it, but, but I kind of agree, but I mean, he also had me completely bought in this summer with this stupid fucking clothesline thing. So, so there's things that like he does that sucks me back in, you know, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't completely give it to him. I just feel that it's not what it could have been and should have been. And I, I don't necessarily think it's his fault or it could be his fault. We, I, I, I'm not sure. I just, I just feel that he could be on a spiral, not a spiral, but he could be on a tick down when he should be ticking up and the company should be ticking up. And another one, unfortunately, there's another guy that I appreciate and love. And that's Adam Copeland. You, perhaps, maybe? you I'm glad you said it. So I didn't have to, cause you know, he's my um, guy. And that's not, and I don't want it to make it seem like I'm attacking AEW because I still think he's going to be huge for that company. But yeah. even his last few months in WWE were pretty lame. Yeah, but, I, but I don't know if it's, it's just, I just don't really want him and Christian feuding right now. It's just, and Christian's so underrated and underappreciated. It's just, it feels that like, I don't, I, I feel like I feel like Copeland is like can also be kind of considered underrated too. But then that he, promo on right. the night of Survivor Series was fucking fantastic. Because you know? he hasn't really been used like he was like you know the Judgment Day shit went on way too long. Um, he had he has to be in storylines with his wife, and I expect that to happen. Maybe even um, at World's End, right? Um, at the end of the day, it's like yes, some like he's been overrated, but it's also because I think the stories have been really not things he can really sink his teeth into other than maybe stuff he just wants to do, you know? And my last one is Seth Rollins as the guy. I don't think he's the guy. I think he's a little overrated as a guy, as the guy, but I think he is an important guy, if that makes any sense. It's the story of his career, man. Like, he's he hmm. never he gets to this level, and then his real mannerisms come out and people turn on him like he just his personality right now his personality is guy who still dresses like the other guy but now he's a wwf like defender like against cm punk but he still dresses like an asshole and he doesn't do the laughing thing anymore it never made sense to me the whole thing and i don't know man not to uh, talk about i that. got a lot of heat on tiktok for saying that people were hating seth Rollins' world heavyweight championship run and i had a lot of people like arguing the comments saying like, and this was after his uh, fast lane match with Nakamura. And I said, well, this is why they're turning on him. And it's just that his opponents and their story of wanting to be world champion are more interesting than Seth Rollins being world champion. And what I mean by mm -hmm. that is Finn had that seven year uh, revenge storyline in his mind. That was more interesting than what Seth was going through. Shinsuke Nakamura's whole character arc was more interesting than uh, Seth Rollins's. And uh, Drew McIntyre of of uh, slowly bur burning, and the reason why that is is just like uh, their stories. Uh, a bad guy's story about being like three dimensional are just out out of bounds. Just the most interesting thing on that show. It, it's like, what can we use the shot in the arm? But at the same time, Seth Rollins has to not only develop these characters that are his opponents that weren't seen as threats to a world heavyweight championship he also has to establish a championship that wasn't even existed so he's in a no-win position and it was very similar to his universal championship run when he was pegged as the guy they tried him as the guy and unfortunately 
whether it was some comments on Twitter that he made that didn't really work out. So that's his, uh, ca- his character saying. isn't a character. It's characteristics. You know, like he's not a character. He just has characteristics and his face turn was not even because of him. It was because people like singing the song in the arena and the, mm-hmm. the music. It was like a Bobby Roode thing, like where he was not that over, but singing the song became a live thing that people wanted to do. And I think that got interpreted as being this over baby face. And I think the crowd eventually kind of maybe got into him, I think. But like it doesn't last long because it didn't seem organic to me. He's not I, a likable character he, ever. He did he did a promo saying he's like finally I could be my real authentic self while he is dressed like how I was dressed, you know. So which nothing wrong with it. It's just sort of a weird thing because I think his best run was that 2018 run with the Intercontinental Championship with that gauntlet match performance and everything like that. That was our real version of Seth Rollins. That was peak Seth Rollins to me. But again, he's doing a good job as world heavyweight champion. He, he was the right oh, yes. person for that job. But the the unfortunate thing is you got to develop the people around you in order to be interesting. And unfortunately, it's that Superman effect. Superman isn't the most interesting person in the Justice League. It's all the other heroes that make Superman interesting. And that's the unfortunate case with Seth Rollins as the world heavyweight champion. But for underrated, I have a couple. One is uh, Angelo Dawkins. I think he's tremendously approved over the past year. And uh, a lot of people are pointing at Montez Ford. He's the next guy. He's the next guy. He's the next guy. Tremendous charisma. Angelo Dawkins has made leaps and bounds of not only his appearance, but his moveset and just his personality in general. And he is slowly but surely inching his way up to be more and more charismatic. And I think he will have that star potential that a Montez Ford has if he keeps on this trajectory and uh, underrated uh, uh, Caden Carter and uh, Katata chance, you know, they were on, on the uh, back end for a while until recently, but as performers, they're tremendous. And I think uh, I'm glad they're, they're finally getting the spotlight that they are now. I second that. I think Katana chance is insane that she's been in that company for like six years and she's just on the main roster now. She's like a Ricochet. She's the one. She's the Ninja Warrior one, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to put, well, we're on the underrated and we're talking about women. I'm going to, going to throw Athena out there. Um, I feel like she had a really good year. Um, and I mean, and I, I don't watch regular ROH TV, but when I watch her and then I watch some of the wrestling we get on Dynamite with the women, right? It makes me wonder why she's an ROH, right? Um, the match with Willa was awesome. The match with Billy was awesome. And those aren't classically great wrestlers, right? Like Willow's good. Billy's good. But Athena made, brought them to a different level in those matches. And I just think that she's, she's probably perfectly happy just having matches kind of like Danielson thing. Right. But I feel like she's underutilized in that company and she should be, you know, someone having, you know, matches on cable as opposed to matches on honor club or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, that's all good ones. And I will say my prediction is that Cody Rhodes will be looked at as underrated in, in retrospect for this year. I think he's going to, I think he's had a really solid year leading into an even bigger 2024 where you think it would be down due to the result of WrestleMania 24 or WrestleMania 39, excuse me. All right. Rossi. The last category for you is promotion of the year. I mean, I don't think you guys are going to be surprised by me saying WWE. Um, 
I thought that it was just such a much better year than 2022 and kind of to the Nick Khan aspect of it, like the globalization of WWE was just on a different level and they just became a much bigger company this year than they ever have been all complete with the sale complete with having a fresh set of eyes on how the business is going to run. Yeah. Vince wasn't fully out until the tail end of the year. But you were starting to feel the change as the year went into that point, right? Um, from the Puerto Rico show to then put doing the shows. Um, I mean, they really, you know, people poo-poo on the Saudi shows a lot, but I really think especially in that May one, they did a good job at not making it feel like a Saudi show. It just felt like a WWE show. You know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, everything's big. Like they did a good job with their stadium shows in 2022, where they had like a SummerSlam where they had to strategically place people on one side of the stadium and they shot it so well, you would have never known to this year. They didn't have to do that. Right. They just set it up to a, a higher level and they sold those tickets and they are the hottest show in town everywhere they go. The fact that they just did a house show in New York with 15,000 people is insane. Um, yeah, right? And then, like, then the next night they're in Boston doing 10 on the same night that they're doing, you know, nine in Detroit with LA Knight on top. It just, it's a different company now than they were a year ago. And now these TV deals are coming to go with it. Like, the new SmackDown deal, the new Raw deal is going to be crazy. NXT got paid more than anybody ever thought that they would. Um, and this company is going to continue to grow and being a part of the Endeavor family is only going to keep elevating them to that next level. And I mean, AW did a lot of good things this year as far as in-ring work, but there's no way that anybody can with a straight face say that their business profile hasn't dipped off. Um, and that's not something I've said a lot of bad things about AW in these last couple hours. Right. But that's because I feel like I'm disappointed by a lot of where they've gone. And I feel like there's changes that have to be made there to make them better, where the changes were made in WWE to make them better. So I think that we've got to go with WWE here. Um, and, you know, they're setting themselves for even a better, setting themselves up for an even better 2024 now that they've kind of, you know, manned up and brought a punk back. And, you know, really, they, when you look at just fantasy booking, like a WrestleMania card that we're three, four months out from, the possibilities are endless and there's been so many years in recent memory that it's like, I guess they can do this at mania. Right. And now it's like, there's so many different, you know, ways they can set this card up as we push towards it. And the rumble itself. I mean, we've been hyping up the rumble for the, since the beginning of December that never happened in the past. This, the company just seems to be getting it at a higher level now. And I really think they're just hitting their stride in a way they haven't in years past. Or in 2020 and 2021, I had AEW, and then last year I had WWE, and even this year I agree with your whole censure. Um, either one of you guys want to make a case otherwise? I mean, <clears throat> talk about financial and all that stuff and, like, WWE going global. And the, I, in terms of the, the product that I'm watching every week, like, I like to see a company being – like, they're trying to do new things. They're always trying, and then they're failing sometimes. And I'd rather see a company fail than just be I mean, they're so complacent. And that's why they're a global entity, because they have a product. It's a Coca-Cola bottle. It looks the same wherever you go. It's a very recognizable thing. It always looks the same, the TV presentation, the pay-per-views. That gets boring to me as a person watching an art form. 
in terms of movies if movies get like fucking stupid marvel movies that are like the most boring shit in the world i don't give a fuck about that i like watching newer more creative ways and even if they fail they tried something so that's what i like about AEW. and listen i got just as many problems as everybody else does but i like watching a company that's only five years old for the record still going and still trying hard to do these things so in terms of what i've been enjoying watching this year i have i have watched i've been more excited to see the ups and downs of AEW than I have to just watch the typically good WWF product. So, you know, like you could go to the restaurant that you like all the time and it's a consistent burger and fries. AEW, maybe you take a, a chance on a truffle burger. It might suck balls or it might be the best burger you had. And to me, that's just exciting. And that's what I, when I'm watching art, when I'm watching TV and wrestling, the thing I love, that's, I like to see that pushing the boundaries of the limitations that you have. So I, it's just more exciting for me to see what they're doing. And I'm not talking about any backstage bullshit. I don't give a fuck about that. But yeah, WWE is a much more successful year than uh, AEW did. And they're going to have a much more successful year for a long time. I think I think the most telling thing with the WWE, there was a SmackDown episode where the Judgment Day and Bloodline were facing off against John Cena, LA Knight, uh, Jay Uso, and Cody Rhodes. If you were to say at the beginning of the year that Jay Uso, LA Knight, Cody Rhodes were getting arguably just as big, if not bigger pops than John Cena during that show, you'd be crazy. You know what I mean? So WWE has had a phenomenal year of not only uh, increasing their main event faces, uh, just like their options. You know, when have we ever had options in the past couple of years of WWE? It's always been one, maybe two guys who you would think could be, reasonably the guy of a brand or the company now you have multiple people in that top spot role you have the cody Rhodes, you have la knight you have jay uso you have uh randy orton you have uh seth rollins you have all these guys who are immensely popular and that happened within that year's time and wwe has booked pretty much all of them uh to perfection for the most part so i think um, i don't uh, i don't interrupt you but um, you could say the same thing about like you wouldn't think a marvel would have miss marvel and the guardians of galaxy and all this these ancillary characters when they started you think it would be the big guys it doesn't mean those movies are any better and not the exact same movie that the superman movies are like yeah you get sorry or iron man whatever mm -hmm. you might have new characters but they're still in the same box and they not things don't ever leave that wwf box of thinking and that's what i'm talking about like yeah new faces i mean that's if they didn't have the new faces the company would die immediately mm -hmm. but they're still in that same they're still booked the same way like it's still it's, it's they're still, they're still in, they're still in that same box but also it's what they're doing with those limitations that are putting up to the next level and the audience aren't getting bored of it and it's pretty much pushing that boundary of you know, with Jay Uso, he was probably one of the most hated people earlier this year and early last year. And now he's one of the most popular people on um, the roster, even though he's been losing a bunch, people are still invested in him. And that's the difference between the booking that has been happening within WWE. It's just like these guys have been losing and losing and losing, but the crowd are still invested, if not more so. Same thing with Cody when he lost to Roman. And with the AEW product, I do like some of the aspects that the AEW product is doing. It's just like we were talking about Takeshita. He had one of the biggest wins of his career against Kenny Omega, and then he's not really doing anything. He's doing tag team matches with Powerhouse Hobbs on Rampage. It's inconsistent with the AEW product of, all right, we have this plan for this guy. Oh, wait, this guy's hurt. All right, now we have to pad out some time until this guy kind of comes back, which brings the criticism to the 
masked uh, devil guy storyline, which again, they're trying something new. They're trying something different, but at the same time, it's going off the sheet of your pants. It's kind of like looking at an improv show and you could see who's well-versed in improv. And then you could tell who is not really well-versed, you know? And then it kind of seems like, I don't want to say amateur hours, but you could see the inexperience. You could see kind of the uh, holes in that plan. And that's going to get better with time because like you said, it's five-year company, but Again, WWE is just a little bit more cleaner and clear, uh, with all that kind of stuff and the new presentation with a lot of these guys with a fresh coat of paint, like an AJ Styles. He hasn't had the best 2023, but when he came back, it's almost like he had a new life to him. So with everything that's been happening in WWE, even though, like you said, they're kind of like in the same box of being booked a certain way. It's how the crowd is still reacting as before when people were still in the same holding pattern like a John Cena or a Randy Orton that was criticized so heavily in the past. Now you have these guys who are still at the top, but there's still more variety that the crowd is still invested in them and they want to see them succeed rather than like, oh, this guy is going this way. It's obvious. And then we see that they do like a little plot twist with Cody not being roaming. It's like, oh, okay, let's see where the story goes. So that's yeah. why WWE is going. I just think looking at at the grand scheme of everything like you know in ring counts business counts AEW is in a worse spot at the end of 2023 than they were at the end of 2022 when WWE is in a better spot at the end of 2023 than they were at the end of 2022 so that's where and you know AEW still like I, I fully agree like they're still they're a true number two you know what I mean and, and that's that they had balls and they had you know moxie to make it happen and they're they're they they're not going anywhere, right? Like even if the TV deal with WD, WBD falls apart, someone else will pick them up. Someone else will pay them more. They're not going anywhere, but they're just they're somewhere at the end of 2023 that I didn't think they'd be at at the end of 2022, where WWE is kind of trajectory up, you know. Yep. All right. In the last category we have here in part one is rookie of the year. So oh, the last three after that, <laughs> it's like the biggest promotion, then something we don't even know who the rookie is. I know the best, the last five rookie of the years, 2022 Braun Breaker, 2021 Jade Cargill, 2020 Pat McAfee, 2019 Jungle Boy, and 2018 Ronda Rousey. Those are the absorbers rookie of the year. So this one is actually hard this year um, because it's like, do you take someone who left NXT and was called up to the main roster like a Grayson Waller, but he's not a rookie. He's been on WWE TV for two and a half years. Do you take someone like a Trick Williams who really extended, excelled in, is not really a manager or a hype man anymore, but is now a singles wrestler on NXT weekly every week? Um, or so it's like a really confusing year for that. It's, it's someone in AEW that they've thrown on TV, but oh, that guy was in AAA or that guy was in Japan or or Noah or whatever forever, and he's just new to us on AEW TV. So it's just like, fuck, I don't know. So I'm just going Trick Williams. <laughs> he's he's new to NXT TV in a full time capacity. He's an extending star. He has charisma out of its ass. Is he eligible for this award? I'm not necessarily sure, but I could see him easily 
being the face of this company one day. And that is fucking insane because he's one of those 2.0 guys that debuted at the end of 2022 when 2.0 was a, a laughing stock and they got this guy was in the PC for fucking four months and they threw him on TV. So he, he's a rookie of the year because he's officially ready for TV, even though he's been on TV for two years now. So it's, it's kind of one of those fuck, I, I really don't know who's eligible. Um, do Any other names? And is Trick Williams eligible in your guys' eyes? Because I don't think he is, but that's my answer. Uh, I'd say Thea Hale would probably be my pick for Rookie of the Year okay. just because of the uh, different character work. She was like this hyperactive uh, person in part of Chase U, and then she had a, I think she had a really good uh, performance against Tiffany Stratton relative to her age and ex- her experience, and the sky's the limit. Now the stuff she's doing with JC Jane is pretty entertaining. So I think she would be my pick just because, again, sky's the limit, and I think she's delivered in the spot she was asked for. That's fine. I just don't think her names is big enough and impactful enough or the resume is big enough for as a breaker, Cardgill, McAfee, Ronda, Jungle Boy. But you know, I think that your sentiment of her being fresh and delivering is true. Any other names from you two? Not really, dude. It's tough yeah, because it's we, we talked hard. about it. Yeah, we talked about it off air. Like, like the biggest, like the impactful names from AEW were probably, I don't know, Nick Wayne, Commander, um, Billy Starks, and they all had name value before 2023. I watched your somewhere. best stuff in GCW before. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Like Nick Wayne wrestled Will Ospreay in Providence in the summer of 2022, right? So um, it's not like they're new. Um, one name you can maybe think of, and it's again, it's cheating, but like a guy like Kyle Fletcher, who was, you know, always in a good tag team, but this was kind of like his rookie year as a single, right? So, I mean, I guess that's kind of cheating, but I'm just th- trick. <laughs> yeah, just trying to think of like outside the box. Like, that's a name to maybe throw out there. Yeah. I did say, I did ask my buddy who is a, a wrestling fan, returning wrestling fan, back in the game for about two years now, and he doesn't read the internet. He doesn't really listen to podcasts. He'll listen to ours sometimes. He um he goes, oh, oh, I'm like Mike. Who's your who's your rookie of the year? Oh, oh, Grayson Waller. He uh, when he showed up on SmackDown, he he's had really good TV. I'm like Mike. He's been around for three years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give Mike a shout out for that one. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess like for a main roster rookie, I I guess right. Like I mean, the category sure. should probably be like best debut on Raw SmackDown Collision or Dynamite. Like that's know. that's gonna have to be what it is at this point, right? Yeah. Or I don't know. Or yeah, I don't know. But all right guys, this is the end of part one, which is the class B categories. A little long in the tooth. Part two will have more depth, uh much more um like impactful things like wrestler of the year, match of the year, woman of the year, tag team of the year, best promo, feud of the year, and outstanding wrestler. Um, so less volume, but more depth to kind of jump into. And for um, the san- for our sanity and for your guys' long- sanity listening, uh, we're going to go two parts on this. Um, this was this is going to be released on a Friday tomorrow. So I'm uncertain where part two is, but I'm going to assume it's going to be early next week. I'll have to get with the guys and figure that out. But uh, that is it for now, and we'll see you guys on part two. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.